Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to have you back. We are, we are starting a new sermon series called Generations, and we want to share with you a little bit about the different generations that we obviously have within our society. Uh, we, are, we are known of those, and uh, from years past, it was a silent generation to a baby boomer generation to a baby buster generation to a millennial and Gen Z, and throughout society and our discussions with reference to even just watching on TV with news and all, this has been a hot topic to discuss how do we embrace. Even as a church, we have to begin to ask those questions, truly, what is our target? And asking also the question, who does the Lord want us to target, and how does that work in reference to church? So uh, it's important with target that we keep in mind the necessity of target, and how can we make a target a necessary thing? So years ago, uh, me having, as you would know, an urban background, um, I was asked to speak at a retreat in 2009 uh, through what I call my father in the Lord. Um, he is part of and lives in an area where um, people like to hunt. Um, people like to shoot with a target. And I just wasn't, I didn't grow up that way. Um, I was in the city and in an urban area, and so um, we didn't do target shooting often. And so um, when I was brought up to this place, I didn't know what I was getting into because in, in the area we were going in New York and Pennsylvania was what they called a sanctuary. They would encase an area of a, quite a bit, 1,500 acres, where they would have game in there, they would call it. And uh, they would have deer primarily, and they would take care of the deer. And they had ATVs, which I've never grown up with, so it was kind of cool being able to drive. I used to have golf carts that I drove, but it was really cool having an ATV. So we would drive up these really steep hills. I mean, you're only going like five miles an hour up these hills, and they're rocky. And so I'm just kind of soaking it in. And one of their activities was target shooting, uh, primarily, specifically, clay disc skeet shooting. And I've never done that in my life. Uh, it was kind of funny because I really never had a rifle in my hand, so watch outs, Rocky Balboa going to a campsite type of thing. So I, I didn't know what to do. So they said, Bruno, you're going to shoot? I said, I guess. So when I took the gun and they were showing me as they were catapulting these clay discs, I was watching everyone. And I just didn't know what to do. They said, you know, they were kind of giving me some pointers. And as I began to shoot, I said, this is my first time, so I may miss a few. Well, lo and behold, I had about 20 of them because the owners would provide all the clay discs. And so I'm sitting there, you know, pulling up my rifle, trying to hold it, trying to learn how to hold it. And I'm like, miss, 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 miss. I missed them all. It was terrible. I was just sitting there. I was embarrassed, walked away with my head down. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm terrible. And they're like, don't worry about it, Bruno. It's your first time. And the guy behind me said, this is my first time. Don't worry about it. You're good. I'm like, okay, I'm not alone. Whew. I guess this guy's going to miss them all, right? He's like, hit, hit. Hit, and I'm just like, oh, man, this is bad. I mean, he hit like 70% of the clay discs. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? I had the target. I thought I had it right. I thought maybe I was a little bit off. So then they asked me to come back. Lo and behold, they asked me to come back and speak to the men again. And they say, what's the, the activity? Of course. It's skeet shooting and clay discs. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. They said, come on, Bruno. Do it. I'm like, no, I'm terrible. I'm not embarrassing myself again. Come on, Bruno. And so the, one of the owner's sons said, come here, let me show you a pointer. So he set me up on a target spot. He said, now, let me just show you how to do that. And he did. And I, all of a sudden, I pick it up, and I'm praying over it. I'm saying, please, Lord, let me hit at least one. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. I'm doing like this. 
hit, 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 hit. I'm like, oh my gosh, a miracle. Hit. And I said, and I just, and all, and all of a sudden it was like 50, 60% is what I did, around that 50% range. So I got the most improved award. And what happened was, um, but what was happening with is what I learned from years past was I was trying to take the rifle and, and try to catch the clay disc as it was moving. I was doing this. And they weren't telling me. But then he said, Bruno, keep it steady. Keep it right on a target point. Let the clay disc come to you. At the end of your left eye, when you see it just coming in, shoot. And I did. And I, I, that's all I needed was that pointer. See, all I needed was a target. All I needed to know is that if I had that target, I wasn't all over the place. I wasn't trying to figure out the target. I wanted to hit it so bad, but I was trying to figure it out. But then he just said, just keep it steady. Keep your eye on that target and let it come to you. See, I think that's what's happening with us today in Christianity is we're thinking about generations, but we're also thinking about as a church. What's our target? Did Jesus have a target. And I'm asking that question this morning because it's necessary to see that if we don't have a target, we'll be all over the place. We won't know what we're hitting. If we're always trying to hit different targets, we're just going to miss here or miss there. But we've got to land on a target. And that's what I see with Jesus. Jesus was one who came. He was, he was sent by the Father. He was sent with the purpose as the Messiah to come to save the people from their sin, to rescue them from a place they couldn't rescue themselves from, a debt they could not pay. But Jesus came, born of a manger, to come with the purpose to reach people who are lost, who are hurting, who are without hope and helpless. Jesus was the one who came, but he was sent by the Father. So if you can look at your worship guides, you'll have an outline there. If you're here for the first time, just pull that out. You know you're here, you're always here, you know where to get that from. The first point is simple. Jesus went where the Father called him to the Gentiles. Look with me to Matthew chapter 4. And before we get there, I just want to share a little bit of a, a background. Jesus is just coming out of chapter 4, at the beginning of the chapter, where he was tempted. 40 days, 40 nights fasted. And the tempter, Satan himself, came to tempt him. And it's important to understand, too, Jesus, the Son of God, coming and at the inauguration of here being on earth to start his ministry, and the itinerary of going around the area of Israel outside of Jerusalem, he was traveling up on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, where there was mountainous areas, but there were people who were far away from God, people in a dark place politically, with the Roman Empire and the government around him. He found himself beginning in an area just outside of his testing to be able to reach those who were far away. Not just the Jew, but the Gentile. And so as we look at chapter 4, verse 12, we're reading this. Now when he heard about John, because John, when he said in chapter 3, verse 2, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, was not a popular thing for John to do. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. And what he was doing was he was setting up the stage for Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, you have to understand, it wasn't popular for him to stand with his peers and saying, you need to repent and, and confess your sin because the Jewish people were a stiff-necked, stubborn people. They were stuck in their, in their selves, stuck, stuck in selfishness. They had Judaism and Pharisaical teaching and Sanhedrin that were arrogant people. So they would not listen to those who would tell them that they were wrong or they were sinning. 
And so God had to set up a forerunner before Jesus the Messiah would come. And so behold, he's coming and Jesus is there. And the Galileans who were in that area too were people who were considered underdogs, people who lived in darkness. And you would think, and I would think that Jesus would not be sent in that type of area, but he was. So when you see verse 12, you see that's the background. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Now the word really is went. So when you see that, you see that statement, Jesus went where the Father called him, most would think that when you withdraw, you're escaping, because now here John is arrested, Jesus is escaping from all the conflict, from all the chaos. No, actually in the Greek, it's strategically meaning that he's going on an itinerary ministry, strategically moving into an area. The Father was sending him to the Gentiles. He wasn't escaping. Jesus didn't need to escape. But if he were escaping in any way because it wasn't his time yet, as the book of John would say seven times, he, it wasn't his time yet. And so Jesus was moving on. He withdrew into Galilee. I just want to just welcome you there to verse 13. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. Capernaum was a home base for him where he was traveling up alongside the Sea of Galilee, and in that territory of Zebulun and Nephaltiah, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And here in 15 and 16, he's addressing what was a prophecy from Isaiah 9-1. But there is one particular uh, point I want to make here in verse, the end of verse 15 and starting 16. It says, The way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. So this is the prophecies up in that area. And then verse 16, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus. In fact, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, we understand that is a messianic phrase or messianic verse. Identifying that Jesus is to come. But when we look at another passage in Isaiah, this is important. And I want to read this to you if I can. Isaiah the prophet says this, I, in saying with the Lord speaking through him, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sin darkness. I am the Lord that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before the spring forth, I tell you of them. This is identifiably important. Jesus was to be the light to a Gentiles right around where he was. But the Old Testament, so often we think of the Old Testament as that God is distant. That he is this God that is a deist God that's apart and distant and not engaging with his creation. But yet in the Old Testament, he often told his people they need to be a light to the Gentiles. They couldn't mix and mingle because they were concerned, the Jews were concerned they would be contaminated by the Gentiles. Because they were considered unclean. But here was God telling his people to be a light to the Gentiles, to reach those who are captive, those who are blind, those who are outside of their bubble. Those who are outside that needed to hear the message that, was, that the God of Israel has to offer. That the God who offers a covenant offers a covenant of love. And he wanted them to reach and be a light to the nations, but they were not. 
Because often what they did is they disengaged themselves from the people who were contaminated with sin and unclean. And we have to be careful as a 21st century that we don't do the same. That we think as Christians, we continue to remain in our bubble, but we're not reaching those who are far away that desperately need a touch from God, who need to know that he loves them, who need to know that if they're discouraged or they're hurting or they're struggling with life or they're struggling with sickness or disease or something that God can use in some way, reach them through us. You and I, and I, 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 people would say that using the word marketing would not be appropriate in church terms, but you and I are to be that billboard for Jesus in our lives. People need to see Christ in us through character, when we reveal his character, through his glory, and that we represent him as an ambassador wherever we go. See, this is not the only place we should be communing together in fellowship. We need to get outside of these four walls and reach a world for the kingdom. But in order for us to do that, we have to be a light. And so Jesus has challenged each one of us that we need to be a light, and that's where he was going. That's what he was called by the Father to do. It was prophecy, and he went. He went as the Lord, the Father, told him to do that, he being the Son of God. And that's important for us. So what are Jesus' targets? Well, one we know is, is quite simple, man. Those within God's reach. God is interested, as we see, it's not just the Jew, but the Gentile, but we see the Jew, where it says this, in Matthew 1.21, Matthew speaking to, with an audience of Jews, he said, you, she, she will bear a son, Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, for he will save his people from their sins. This is important, because what was happening was a stiff-necked, stubborn people were pulling back. They weren't being a light to the Gentiles around them. And God began to pull back and said, you know what? I'm not just reaching the Jews. I want to reach the Gentiles. Even in Matthew 21, 43, it says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to the people producing its fruit. I mean, he was telling about the Jews. I'll take it away from you and graft in the Gentiles. It's our calling to do that. And so it's important for us to understand that we are to reach a people who are within God's reach to be a light for him. Secondly, it's the message, a calling to all to repentance. And we have to see and understand that it says, and this is the gospel of the kingdom which proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then to the end will come. We're called to do that. We're called to call people out in repentance, but we have to target ourselves, and who is that particular target? You know, there's a lot of talk about Gen Z talk in 21st century postmodern um, language. We talk about that. We hear about that. I've read a book, reread a book called Meet Generation Z. James Emery White was a former president of a seminary college, and he writes on these particular subjects, and he's done a great job, but I love the information that he gives. In 2015, he states, Gen Z constitutes 25.9% of our U.S. population, more than millennials, 245 Gen X, 15.4, and Baby Boomers, 23.6. By 2020, which is where we're arriving now, which we have arrived, it will consist of 40% of all consumers. They have buying power because of the social media, because of them being on Snapchat, Instagram, getting in there, getting into their media. This is their communication line. Many who are us, like baby busters and baby boomers, we don't understand why they don't pick up a shovel and start digging a hole or building a house or why they can't clean the house when we ask them to do that, but they're always on their phones. We wonder why are they busy on their phones? Why are they playing on their phones? 
Well, I took uh, the initiative to look up a video to describe, and what would be better than a Gen Z explaining their heart and who they are? So I want to share a video with you just uh, explaining so there are the that. boomers, there's Gen X, there's my box, the millennials. But young people are covered by more than just that title. Gen Z is the next wave, and turns out there's quite a bit that makes them uniquely them. The new kids on the block, or in your office, aren't just millennials anymore. But I feel like... For me, like millennials are grown ups. The freshest faces are those of Generation Z, while millennials are roughly defined by being born between 1981 and 1995. Those dubbed Gen Z were born from 1996 on, with the oldest of them now in their early 20s. But it's more than just their birth years that set these two generations apart. We went straight to the source and talked to Zach, Sammy, Annabelle, and Emily, who we found the Gen Z way on Snapchat. What do you think makes Gen Z, Gen Z? I think it's internet engagement. We were born with it, so we don't really know a world without it, really. While most millennials can remember life before smartphones and social media, Gen Z has never known a world without the internet in their pocket. Literally, our friend group at school primarily communicates through Snapchat. These platforms have caused Gen Zers to see the job market in a new way. What does success mean to you guys now? people in our generation are really looking for is success in, in the way of living on your own terms. That means looking to social media platforms for viable career opportunities, causing some to think about education differently. Do you guys think that um, given social media opportunities that going to college is necessary anymore? I really think that we're like moving towards a time where a degree isn't necessarily important. They multitask with ease. Their digital fluency allows them to take on a lot at once, sometimes coming across as unfocused. They say it's focus the Gen Z way. You're never on really one social media at a time. You're always on Snapchat. Like you want to go see what's happening on Instagram, and then, oh, someone's texting me on WhatsApp. Short attention spans mean trends evolve fast. So when your parents find out about it, it's about the time that it, we're on the downhill. As soon as it leaves the generation, then it's like, okay, they're too old for us. Like, it's not cool anymore. Access to social media and technology has made Gen Z more global. We're the first generation that's really grown up with the tools that make us able to connect with anybody across the world with the click of a button. Nick Jane, Ziad Ahmed, and Shaina Zafar, all under 20, founded and run a consulting firm, helping Fortune 500 companies and startups alike reach Gen Z successfully. Cole Maddox runs a hedge fund from his dorm room. They want you to know they're ready for a seat at the table, especially since Gen Z is now the largest percentage of the population at over 25%, and represents up to $143 billion in buying power. We're positioned right, to overtake millennials as the largest generation by the end of 2019. Right? If you don't get we start working with us now, and you're gonna miss the boat. And don't underestimate what else they're up to on their phones. So give me a short answer to older people saying to you guys, you're just always on your phone. You have no idea what I'm doing. We're not just sitting on our phone ignoring <laughs> the world around us. We're sitting on the phone interacting with hundreds of people. This generation wants you to know just because they care about followers doesn't mean they don't care about friendships and doesn't mean they're disconnected from what happens in the world. We as a generation, we're so diverse. We're also the most inclusive generation. Like we know as a generation what we want to see in our leaders. Young people have always been standing up for things, always been disrupting the status quo, always been rewriting trends. But what's unique about our generation is that the tools that we have access to allow for these disruptions to become mainstream.
Okay, all right, okay. Wel welcome, to, wel my, welcome to the media. All right, okay. Well, uh, with that being said, the idea is that when we have to understand when the Gen Z is making a comment, we've got to listen. We must be careful as an older generation that we're not judging them immediately and trying to figure out their thoughts. The greatest way I think you can in reaching a Gen Z, in my opinion, is asking questions. Simply ask a question. You're showing them that you care. You're engaging with them in relationship. You're asking questions because you, too, you truly do genuinely care. But what we do often as parents is we try to assume what they're thinking or we use the assessing evaluation as based on where the standard and they're not. We have to be careful. We must be careful. Because if we're not, we have to be reminded too, when we were younger, the generation before us and before us were saying the same thing about us. <laughs> when we were younger too, they were questioning. When we had the times of the hippies, and we had the times of racial riots, and we had the times where people didn't understand why you needed a TV when you could just live with a radio, and then go from TD to 8-tracks to cassettes to CDs. Now, now you don't even need CDs. You can just Google and get any song you want. I mean, you can get any kind of type of genre that you want. It's just working in that particular setting. And what you're doing is you're connecting. You're trying to find out. Doesn't mean we can agree to disagree. We can accept or not accept. But just because you're asking questions doesn't mean you're always accepting it but you're valuing them. That's key. And that's why with us as Christians, we want to know that what's our target? Man is our target. We want to reach them as much as we can. We also have to do something else. We have to reach them, as I said, second point was with a message, calling them all to repentance. Years ago when Billy Graham would speak in a modernistic period, he would give the gospel in a manner that was fire and brimstone, and people would respond. Thousands and thousands of people would respond. Today, it could still be the same. It could still be the same in one sense, but what this generation needs and what the people of today need is to know that they're loved because they're skeptical. They need to know, and that's why relationships are necessary. We can call them with the message of the gospel for repentance. We can see, but even Jesus, when he did it, he did it with love and respect. Look, look with me, just looking at this particular passage right here, Matthew 4, 17, from that, that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The word repent means this, feel remorse, turning about face, changing of the mind, be converted. It's calling someone out to, to change. But it's not those, they're doing the chain, it's change, it's God who's changing them. But you and I, who are Christians, we need to continue to go with repentance. Look with, look with me here at another passage where Jesus, and he was talking to Matthew. This is Levi, who is Matthew, who's the writer of Matthew, made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors, and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, God was, Jesus was reaching them. He was, he was spending time with them. He was spending quality time showing them to be valuable, but he was also calling them out in love. 
And he was, he was ministering to them. He was building relationships with people. And that's what we have to do because repentance is a motif that was necessary even when Luke wrote it. He was writing with the intention that people need to be about the change. God wants to change us. He wants to turn about face in our lives. He wants to confront us with our sin and even invade us, but with the intention to draw close to God. See, sometimes we need to be confronted with sin in our lives because when we are, and God works with us, then we draw closer to him. But if we avoid it, and we play it off like it's not there, sweep it under the rug, we'll never understand and know what it means to have that journey with God. And so Jesus was willing to do that. Also in another passage here, it says this in Luke 24, 44 through 47. And he said to them, these are my words I have spoken to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance from forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He was calling them out. He didn't change. When the inauguration of the Spirit of God had come, repentance was necessary. So as we are willing to make our target man, anyone in God's reach, we also have to come with a message that all must repent. And lastly, this. This is what Jesus was saying here in this passage here in this particular area of Matthew. He's saying this, there's a mandate, follow me. We're called to disciple. When you look at chapter 4, verses 19 through 22, Jesus, was, it was mentioned, followed, followed him three different times. These men were following him. He called them, he said, follow me, and they followed. He went out to the, uh, James, the sons of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and they followed him. He went to Andrew, and they followed him. All of that to say is that, that Jesus was calling on people to follow him. You and I have to understand Jesus would follow the Father, and now we who are in Christ follow him. But God's called us for others to follow us by discipling them. And what does a follower or what does a disciple look like? He's a leader or she's a leader. And he or she must have these requirements, I believe, and I'll list them off to you. One who's attentive and watching. One who imitates Christ, one who is a visionary, wants to see someone come in a deeper, intimate love for God, one who has mission, one who has purpose, one who has passion, one who is obedient, one who is a good steward of his time or her time, one who is responsible, one who is trustworthy, one who is vulnerable and transparent with great integrity, one who fails. So you want to be a disciple or lead someone, you have to admit that you fail. And we have to admit it often. Because why? Because we have to hold the standard of God. And then it's lastly, one who's dependent, not independent like in this world. One who requires to have a relationship of intimacy, who's willing to open up and share. One who's willing to trust God. See, that's what a disciple is. Because see, what it means to follow, in the Greek it means a marker of position behind an entity that proceeds. Meaning, if we're going to follow Jesus, Jesus has to lead us. We can't get ahead of Jesus. We can't say, God, here are my plans, Jesus. You know what? I want you to approve my plans. Jesus just says, you know what? I like your plans, but not really. I think we got to just kind of can them. Let me show you my plans. And then when you show my plans now, I've approved them already, so just follow me. 
And now, behold, we got to get behind Jesus. Because just as they were traveling to the promised land on the east side of the Jordan River, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, went before them, not behind them. And you and I, when we want to follow Jesus, as he was calling people to follow him, we've got to be a people that lead people. We can't expect people to figure it out. We've got to lead them. And that's what God was calling his, the people of the first century, and he's calling you and I. So what does a touch look like? So Jesus, when he's talking about different particular, he was talking about a touch. Jesus would touch. He would touch people in, in his midst. He went again. Verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23. It says this. And I love it because the word went came up again. And he went. Now, you got to understand, I had this as a devotion last week. We were away on a, on a staff retreat. Pastor Dennis and I were there. I shared my devotion with him. He goes, dude, man, you need to preach on that. I was like, you know what? I didn't think of that. Okay. Prayed about it. I said, thanks, Pastor Dennis. Yes, I'm going to preach on it. But I looked at these words. I saw verse 12, he went. And then I saw verse 23, he went. See, that's all God's calling us to do is go. He's asking us for us to go and do what? Well, he asked Jesus, and Jesus went as the Messiah. He went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming in the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he was teaching. It was just really simple. This is what he would do. And even we see a, a similar passage here in Luke 4. Jesus returned in, in verse 14, in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report came about him, went out through all of the surrounding country. There goes the went again. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as it was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unscrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, which is where this is written is Isaiah 61, 1 through 2a, the first coming of Jesus or the first coming of the Messiah. Here's Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are all oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all were fixed on him. Who is this guy that just read that? And began to say to them, Jesus said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How bold can he be that he's saying, I am the Messiah. And they looked at him, because that was blasphemous to say that you're the Messiah. But Jesus, being bold, he went in the synagogue, and he was he was. Fired up and bold enough to say that. He also did this. He preached the good news. As we understand, the good news is simply this. Jesus came to save their people from their sin. Like I've read this before, Matthew 121. And we know John 3.16. It's in every sports arena. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's good news to a sinner that can't pay off his debt. And to, to the healing. Now, this is where he went. Healing of all kinds of sickness. This is important because healing is holistic. Healing is holistic. When someone's going through battling with cancer, disease, when they're dealing with something that they can't control, when they're dealing with depression, when they're thinking they're suicidal, when they're dealing with an addiction and they can't get out of it, 
They need to be healed. And see, what God's doing is God is showing forth his deity through his son by meeting the needs of the people. I know that when someone's going through that, it's emotional, it's mental, it's tiring spiritually. When you have to trust God to get you through something and you don't know if he's going to allow you to go through it. And when you have to understand that God can heal if he chooses to heal, but the idea is that God uses this within the Gospels of showing forth his deity and who he is. But what Jesus didn't do is that he didn't just simply preach repentance or he simply told them to get it right. He went out and met their needs. He reached out to a people. He didn't ask them to come to him. He went. And you and I are called to go. Too often I don't get in the 21st century church thinking that I just have to sit in a building and hope people come. You and I are called to reach, to make this contacts, to engage within our communities, within our neighborhoods, within people at work, within people in our family. We've got to go and reach. But we can't sit there and expect God to bring all the people here. We've got to get off of our tushies and make sure that we reach the people who desperately need Jesus. i got to tell you something. If there wasn't a woman who wanted to reach me, a woman who was like a mother to me for two and a half years if she didn't keep going and going I wouldn't be standing in front of you today because they were willing to come out and say I want to reach and we were working in a store she kept telling me about Jesus and it was 30 years ago that I said I had enough I had enough of the depression I had enough of the planned attempt suicides I'm done I can't do this anymore. Yes, if you wanted to call me a Gen Z 30 years ago, that's where I was. Because I didn't care about God. I was skeptical and I had nothing new. All I thought about God was Catholic Church. He's distant from me. He really doesn't care about me. I'm not holy enough. I don't think God could even have any way in my life. But when I came to Christ, it was an emotional movement. Because I couldn't believe God would be interested in me. And I'm telling you right now, when Jesus went, he went reaching people with that intention. But he met their needs. He met their needs. And when he did, this is what happened. His fame went, meaning it spread out. The word fame in the Greek really means rumor, report. As we just read in Luke 4, a report went out. It wasn't this texting, yo, to check out this dude, his name is Jesus. Yo, man, he, uh, he just healed someone instantly. I can't believe it. It's crazy. He's walking around with some crazy robe. He looks foolish. I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't Facebook, Snapchat, or anything. You couldn't just quickly go across the world and tell someone about Jesus. But the report went across. The rumor went. And the fame came. All of a sudden, what happened? Their needs were met, and they brought. It's right there in the scripture. Right there. They brought. It's beautiful. I love it because when I saw that, I said, wow. So his fame spread in verse 24 throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick. They said, well, if he's going to meet other people's needs, I'm going to bring him more people. And that's going to happen when, when God changes a life. He wants you and I to bring people to him. And so they brought to Jesus, and what happened? Multitudes followed. Wow. You're like, oh, but, you know, Bruno, it's not going to happen today. We're in Gen Z nation. There's no way. They're too skeptical. Well, I, I have to ask the question. Are you going? Are you sharing the message? Are you doing the mandate of discipleship? I know people who are 30 years in the Lord haven't even discipled anyone in their lives. What are we going to do? We are called to disciple, to bring the message of the gospel and repentance, to bring people to forgiveness of sin, that God would save them. We are God's instruments, vessels to lead people. And we're called to do that. 
So the question is, what's our target? What's our target? What are we going to do? See, James Emery White wrote another book besides Meet Generation Z. He wrote a book called The Rise of the Nuns prior to that book. And he said there are different church environments. As a church, I don't want us to be seeker-driven or sensitive-driven. I use the word driven. That's a key word there. I want us to be missional. I want us to be a people who are targeting people, not just Gen Z, but all people. But we need to be mindful of the new generation and reach them in however we can, short of the gospel. Any method we can to reach them for the kingdom of God because we must be missional. Each one of us have a mission each day. We have to be missionally mindsetted. We have to have a heart to be missional, and we have to be missional. You, you and I can say that, yeah, sure, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm missionally mindsetted. Yeah, 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 I got a heart for it, but we're not being it. We're back home just in our caves, and we're not reaching anyone. We must be about it. I go home, I, I can't just be comfortable. I got to reach my neighbors. I got to reach people when I'm going to Walmart. I got to reach people when I go to Giant. I got to ask God to use me to touch, plant seeds, water, whatever he wants me to do. I have to be available because that's what we're called to do because otherwise, if we're just trying to be sensitive-driven, seeker-driven, we're just hitting different targets. But we're missing it. You get my drift? We're missing it. I'm trying to hit the target, but I'm, we have great intentions. We want to hit all these targets, but we have to be targeted to reach people with a missional heart, being missional. And that's what we're called to do. And I want to encourage you. What is our target as a church? That's what I want it to be. I want everybody in the game. I want everybody out there doing to be on mission so when you come back I had someone after the first service tell me I had a great conversation with someone at work for 10 minutes about the gospel that's what I want to hear because you know why you can reach someone for the kingdom of God and maybe you're here today and you've heard the kingdom you've heard the message you heard the good news you've heard that we need to be a target as a church maybe you're lost and you're not sure maybe you were with like me 30 years ago you didn't know what to do. Maybe you have someone who's telling you about Jesus, but you're pulling away. See, I want to encourage you to think about that. And take the moment and ask, who am I and why did God create me? And I, I want to encourage you too. If you want to know Jesus, come to know who he is and be forgiven of your sin. Come up afterwards. Pastor Dennis and I will be here. Any of the elders will be here to share with you about the kingdom of God. Would love to give you an opportunity to make a decision for the kingdom of God. As the worship team is coming up, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we are grateful to you. You truly are an awesome God. There are many who are hurting, many Gen Zs, many people throughout the world, not just Gen Zs, but all generations that are hurting. Lord, I pray as a church, Grace Church Waldorf, we will make our target clear. We will be missional. We will reach people with the kingdom of God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing with them what it means to have a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would be about sharing people with the message, but also having a mandate here to make disciples. God, this is the purpose that you've given us to make disciples. And I pray, Lord, as we go out and share, you will get the glory and the honor and the praise. The fame will be brought out. Everybody will hear about you. And then more people will bring more people here or outside. 
And then, Lord God, we're going to see multitudes following you. So, Lord, challenge us as your people today. Encourage us to see the need of doing that. We ask that you would charge us in our heart today to be about your targets, be about your business. For your kingdom's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.